1 Samuel chapter number 17, and uh, we're going to look at verse number 41 down to verse number 48. And uh, we're going to look at these uh, eight verses here this morning. And uh, throughout the message, we'll preach uh, through much of chapter 17. But we're going to look at these eight verses as we begin. The Bible reads in verse number 41, it says, And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the emphasis that we've had throughout this week as we think about church planting. And uh, Lord, the need is dire as we think about our state, as we think about our country, uh, Lord, as we think about the world. And Father, we realize uh, here this morning that the solution to all of the world's problems lies in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we think about this story that uh, for sure we've heard over and over and we've studied in our classes and in our personal devotions. I pray, Lord, once again that you would use this story concerning David and Goliath and I pray, Lord, that you'd stir within our hearts uh, greater faith. I pray that you'd increase our faith. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to focus on this truth here this morning, that with God, nothing is impossible. And so, Father, speak to us and uh, have your way throughout this hour and use it ultimately for your glory and for your honor. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we think about the subject of faith here this morning, there are... I guess many profound definitions for faith that one can give. However, I tend to like the simple and the basic definition of faith, and that is simply believing God at His Word. Faith is simply believing God at His Word. I think about a story that Charles Spurgeon used to tell concerning an elderly woman in his church, and one day she got into a debate with a man who was a skeptic concerning the Bible, and and he was arguing with this lady that scientifically it's impossible for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And although he argued adamantly, her faith was unshaken. And eventually at the end, she replied to this man, not only do I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, as the Bible says, but if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the great fish, I would believe that too. And as I think about that story, that's simple faith to take God at his word, that God said it and that settles it. And I believe it to have absolute confidence in who he is and to believe with all of our hearts when it comes to the promises that God has given us within the word of God. And you see here today, that's the Lord's desire for each and every single one of us that we would live by faith. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six, the Bible reads there, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we find throughout the Bible, we discover that our relationship with God is dependent upon our faith, for it is faith which activates and appropriates the promises and the power of God within our lives. I think about our Christian life, it begins by faith. As we think about salvation, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. And it's not by works, but it's by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I think about what the Bible says in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so the Bible is very clear that we begin the Christian life by faith, but at the same time, we find throughout the Bible that we continue in our Christian life by faith as well. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then we think about what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we find throughout the Bible that we live by faith. And those that live by faith will overcome the vices and the temptations of this world. Those that live by faith will live a life of peace and joy despite the tribulations and the trials that we might face. And those that live by faith will know and experience the power of Almighty God. Those that live by faith will live a victorious life for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And this morning, as we think about 1 Samuel chapter number 17, we find here David, who was a man that experienced the power of God, and he lived a victorious life because he lived a life of faith. And one of the greatest victories that we know about David in his life took place early in his life as a late teenager when he fought the giant Goliath in the Valley of Elah that we find here within our text this morning. And so I want you to notice with me several thoughts as we study 1 Samuel chapter number 17 concerning the subject that faith is the victory. First of all, I want you to notice with me as we begin here, uh, I find here the adversaries of David. Notice the adversaries of David. And in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse number four, I find here the first adversary. And we notice it is the champion of Gath or the champion of the Philistines known as Goliath. And notice what the Bible says in verse number four. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him." 
uh, we find here the description of this giant, of the champion of Gath. His height was six cubits and a span. Uh, that would be approximately nine feet, six inches tall. If you think about Goliath and he stood on a basketball court, he can dunk the ball without even jumping. That's how massive of a man he was. The Bible says that he was covered in brass armor. His coat of mail that went from his neck down to his waist weighed approximately 125 pounds. Just the head of his spear weighed about 18 pounds. And so as we think about just the armor of Goliath, he would have been carrying at least 200 pounds as he entered into that battle. This was a giant of a man who came out and he challenged the armies of Israel. And I want you to notice the response of the armies of Israel as we find here in the following verses. In verse number eight, it says, And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? and these servants of Saul, choose ye a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we find here because of this one giant, the entire army of Israel, they were completely paralyzed. In verse number 24, it speaks about the fact that they were sore afraid, uh, that they were woefully, they were dreadfully, they were utterly fearful. We find also within this chapter that Saul, trying to encourage his men, gives them a three-part reward. He says, if you go out there and you kill Goliath, then I will give you a cash reward. I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. I will allow your family to have a tax exemption status when it comes to the nation of Israel. And he was trying to encourage somebody to go out there and to have courage and fight against that Goliath. But the Bible says they were sore afraid. They were all paralyzed and nobody stepped out into the Valley of Elah. And so we find here, first of all, the champion of Gath as we think about the adversaries of David. But then I want you to notice also as we continue, uh, we find here the critics of Israel. And not only did David have adversaries from without that threatened him physically, but then we also find here that he had opposition from within that discouraged him mentally, that discouraged him psychologically. And we find here in verse number 28 of this chapter uh, that it begins with his brother. It begins with his very own family. It begins with his kin. And the Bible says, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And here's David's oldest brother, Eliab, misunderstanding David's motives, and he, and he falsely accuses him. I mean, David was simply being obedient to Jesse. He left the sheep that he was tending to, and now uh, he brought the food. He brought the provisions for his brother that he might be able to see how they're doing in the front lines of the battle. And here's Eliab, his oldest brother, maybe the person that had uh, uh, some influence over the life of David. And as soon as he arrives, he misconstrues his motives and he accuses him. You have naughtiness in your heart. You've come here because you just want to see the entertainment of the battle. And we find the discouragement here that comes from his very own brother, from his kin, but then it doesn't end there. It continues. And we find here it also comes from his king, not only his kin, but also his kin or his king. And we find here that from Saul himself, 
Uh, Saul, who was being ministered to by David as David played the harp. Saul, who was being ministered to as David was his armor bearer. You would think that he would encourage David. Uh, you would think that he would inspire David as David comes with a desire to step out and to face Goliath. But the Bible teaches us in verse number 32 and 33 that the exact opposite took place. And it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You would think at this point that Saul would be excited. Uh, you would think at this point, after he's tried to encourage all the men to step out and fight against Goliath, now David steps up. He says, I'll do it. He says, I'll be the man to step out. I'll go into the Valley of Elah. I'll stand for the armies of God. And Saul here doesn't encourage David, but rather we find the exact opposite. He discourages and disparages the heart of young David. And the Bible says there in verse 33, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And you see here this morning, whenever we try to live by faith, uh, whenever we try to accomplish great things for God, whenever we try to attempt the impossible for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, like stepping out and planning a church, like going to an area that you've never been to before, going to an area where you know absolutely no families and just simply scratching out a spot on the map and trusting that God has called you to that city. When you step out by faith, not everyone's going to encourage you. And not everyone's going to pat you on the back and not everyone's going to come up after the service and say thank you for that message. But there's going to be critics and there's going to be oppositions whenever we step out by faith to do something for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me implore and beseech you this morning that we must never set our agenda upon the critics, but we must continue to trust in the Lord and press forward in faith, believing in what God has called you to do. I think about Nehemiah when he went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we heard about the story of Nehemiah yesterday in chapel. And the Bible teaches us that Sanballat and Tobiah began to criticize. And in Nehemiah chapter number four, the Bible reads, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And they continued to ridicule. It says in verse three, now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. And Nehemiah, as he received this ridicule, uh, as he received this opposition and the criticism of Sanballat and Tobiah, we find his response. He took that ridicule and criticism and he ignored it and he went before the Lord in prayer and he continued diligently in the work that God had called him to do. And by the grace of God in 52 days, the Bible says, so the wall was finished. And I think many of you have heard this many times here before, but the greatest response we can have to our critics is to simply continue in the will of of God and to finish the task that God has called us to do. And I remember as the Lord led us out to East Vale and, and uh, we were so excited. We didn't have everything exactly in place and we made a lot of mistakes as we were out there uh, trying to plant that church. But I remember just the excitement of that very first Sunday. We had family and friends coming in from outside and we had about 52 people uh, on that very first Sunday. And I remember I prepared a message and I stood up and I preached my heart out as, as strong as I could. And uh, as soon as that service was over, there was a man that was uh, towards the back. He was dressed in a full suit and very dignified. Later on, I found out that he was a politician running for office there within our district. 
And as soon as that service was over, he made a beeline right towards me. And uh, I remember thinking after that service, here comes this gentleman and he's going to tell me, hey, thank you for the service and that was a great message and I'm going to join your church and how can I help? And, and I thought everybody would love the notion of planting a church within the city of Eastville. And I remember he came up to me and these were the first words he said. He said, you'll never build a church this way. And I thought, what way? I mean, I realize we don't have the greatest singing. I realize we don't have the greatest facility, but, but what is he talking about? He said, you'll never build a church this way. And I just kind of paused and he continued and he said these words. He said, he said, you preach too long. He said, he said, you're never going to build a church if you preach for longer than 30 minutes here in the city of Eastfield. Everybody preaches for 25 minutes. You went way too long. You're never going to build your church within this city. And I remember that criticism. I remember being discouraged about what he had said. I remember throughout those first several months, people coming in and criticizing our children's church. Uh, some of you might have visited our church at the very beginning, and, and we simply had a 10 by 20 carpet that we took outdoors, and we rolled that out on the cement, and we had a 10 by 20 canopy, and we set it up, and that was our children's church. It wasn't even inside. During the winter months, it would drop down to 40 degrees. During the summer months, it would jump up to about 110 degrees. And that's where we placed the children. And, and people would come and they would criticize. They would say, Pastor, this is crazy. No one's going to continue to come to this church if you don't have a better children's facility. I remember when we started that church, people criticizing our music. Uh, saying you don't have good music, you need more instruments, and it needs to be more lively, and you need to have something that's a little more contemporary. You're never going to build a church that way here within this community. I remember people telling us that we're never going to grow and build a church if we maintain ourselves within a school facility. You have to get a building, and you can't have a church without your own building. And I realize the importance of all of that, but, but as we think about moving forward by faith, if we give in to all the criticism, then we're never going to get anything done for our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm simply wanting us to understand here this morning, especially for you men, they're going to go out there and, and you ought to go out there with great faith, but realize you're going to have opposition. Uh, realize there's going to be those that aren't happy that you're starting the church and there's going to be even those within the church that criticize the things that you're trying to do for the Lord. And so we find here, first of all, the adversaries of David. But then as we continue, I want you to notice with me the assurance of David. Despite the adversaries and the criticism, David had a calm assurance within his heart. And I want you to notice with me just a few thoughts on where that calm assurance came from. First of all, we find in verse number 34 down to verse number 37 that it came from his personal relationship with God. His calm assurance, his faith in the midst of all that was happening there in the valley of Elah, it came from his personal walk with God. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took out a lamb and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And I want you to notice there that David understood as he had this victory with the bear and with the lion, it wasn't in his own strength, it wasn't in his own might, but he recognizes here in verse number 37, the Lord, it is he that delivered me from those times of difficulties within my life. And we find 
find here that David had a calm assurance as he was entering into that valley, as he was about to face the nine feet six inch Goliath. He had a calm assurance about that battle because of his personal walk and his personal experience with the Lord. You see, this morning there are a lot of Christians that know about God, but there are few that really know God. Uh, There are few that really experience an intimacy with their God and with their Savior. As we think about the nation of Israel, they knew about God. Uh, They knew the stories of God. Uh, They knew what God did to deliver them out of the land of Egypt. They knew the oracles of God. They had memorized the scriptures, but we find here that they were all paralyzed in fear because they knew about God, but David was different. He didn't simply know about God, but he knew God personally and intimately within his life. For David walked with God as he tended to the sheep, and David experienced the provision and the protection and the power of God within his life. You see, everybody saw the power of Goliath, but not David. David saw the power of his God. And let us never forget here this morning that we serve a big and powerful God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 17, All Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And you see, David had a full assurance of faith because He knew God. He knew his strength. He knew his ability. He knew Goliath was nothing compared to his God. And therefore, as everybody else feared in their their paralysis, as they were observing the enemy in front of them, David saw beyond Goliath. He saw beyond the Philistines. And he saw a mighty God that would deliver them as he stood for the glory of God. And let me encourage you here, college students, that you would get to know God today. If you're thinking, I'm going to get to know God on that launch Sunday. Uh, I'm going to get to know the power of God when I get out to that city and plant a church. I'm going to win my first soul to Christ when I uh, go out there and knock on a door in that city in which God has called me. Let me encourage you here this morning. Get to know God today. Uh, Experience God's power today. Experience God's provisions today. And experience God's power and strength and ability in your life today. The fact of the matter is we all have giants, we all have critics, we all have problems. Every church planner will face opposition and obstacles and some will get paralyzed in their fear. Some will just keep singing and rejoicing in the Lord and keep pressing forward, living a life of peace and joy. And what's the difference? Some know about God, others know God. And with that full assurance of faith, they will continue to press forward for the Lord. And so we find here with David, he had a personal walk with God. It was the real deal. Uh, It wasn't just the facade. Uh, It wasn't just something that he did when he showed up on Sunday. It wasn't something that he did when he was around others. And I wonder here this morning, uh, as you think about your personal walk with the Lord, uh, how, how is that intimacy? How is that time in the morning? Are you spending time fervently on your face before God's word? and in prayer, the personal walk with God. But then I want you to notice as we continue, I find the full full assurance in the proven methods. It says in verse 38, and Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. 
And David put them off him, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. As you think about this armor of King Saul, it would have been the best armor that they would have had throughout the nation of Israel, but it didn't fit David. And furthermore, he had not proved them. He had not tested them. They were not reliable. And so we find David declines the offer and he prepares for battle with the staff and sling which he had proven and that which was time tested within his life. And not only was this a wise strategy that we find for David as he went out into that battle, but it also teaches us an important spiritual principle here today that David was not looking for new methods. Uh, David was not looking for new strategies in defeating Goliath. He simply relied upon the Lord. He simply relied upon the experience of what he had with the bear and with the lion that God would fight for him, that God would stand on his behalf. And he simply went out with that which was proven and reliable within his life. And this morning, we can take hours to speak about methodologies. And, and I think all of us would realize as we think about different methods of doing ministry and different methods of planning a church, not all of them are bad. And many of them are, are good and beneficial. And we ought to have wisdom and discernment as we apply that. But could I say just one thing here this morning, that there is no greater way to win people and to grow God's church than to simply preach the word of God and to declare the truth that God has given us within his word. And although we can speak much about these different methodologies, I simply want to say here this morning that as you go out and plant a church, just take the Bible and open it up and just read verse by verse and expound and expose the truth and declare, thus saith the Lord, and let God build his church through his method, which is the Bible, the word of God. In Isaiah 55, the Bible says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And what people desperately need here this morning is not our opinions. Uh, it's not our stories. It's not some entertaining service. It's not our creativity, although not all of that is bad. But what people desperately need here this morning is the exposition and the declaration of God's word. For it's God's word, which is the instruction manual for life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's the manual to bring a broken marriage relationship back together. Uh, it's the word of God, which is the manual concerning a wayward child that needs to come back to the Lord. It's the manual concerning the relationship that we ought to have in our workplace. It's the manual for every single situation and aspect that we find within this life. God's word is a light for our path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is the weapon for our battles. The Bible says that we ought to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
God's word is our spiritual food for our growth. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said unto them, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And it is God's word that will convert the lost sinner. It's God's word that will make wise the simple. And it's God's word that will rejoice the heart and revive the believer. In Psalm 19, verse 7, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And let me encourage you once again, just get out there and preach God's word and he will build the church and he will draw people if you will simply expose and exegete the truth that you find right here within this book. And there's too many people out there trying to bring in their own opinions and their own ideologies and their own new methods. God's given us the method. And if we simply get the word out, then God will save people and God will add to that church and God will grow that ministry and God will bring marriages back together if we simply stay faithful to preaching the word of God. I remember during that first year when I was there in Eastvale, during those first few months, after that first Sunday, we had about 52 or so. And uh, once again, half of them were, were family and friends. And so that second Sunday, it dipped down. We had maybe about 20. And I remember for about those first six months, we had about 20, 25 in church. And, and uh, towards the end of that six months, there was, there was a, a gentleman that walked in and a first time guest. And he sat right to my left, right next to the piano. And uh, I remember as I was preaching, he was very attentive and listened very carefully. And and uh, once I was done preaching, he made a beeline right to the pulpit. And I thought, all right, here we go again. You can't build a church this way. And I was getting ready for it. But he said, I just want to thank you. And I said, thank you for what? Thank me for what? And he said, I want to thank you that you opened your Bible this morning. He said, I've lived in Eastfield now for about eight months. I visit a lot of different churches. You're the first pastor that stood up and opened the Bible and read and preached Thus saith the Lord. Many people gave their opinions and a story here and there, but you're the first pastor I've met that opened the Bible. I said, praise the Lord, and I fellowshiped with him just a little bit. He said, next Sunday, I'll come back with my family. And that next Sunday, I saw him drive up into the parking lot, and he had this huge van that he drove in with and, and outstepped his wife. And then after that, I was counting one by one his children. And, and when you're a church planner, you got 20 people in the church. You want to know everyone that's there. You're counting everybody. Make sure uh, people are in the parking lot in the service. And uh, one by one, they walked out of that van, a total of seven children, nine people in the family that had entered that church, and in one week, almost doubled the attendance that we had at our church plant. And that man came not because of me. He didn't come because we had great children's facilities. All seven of his children went outside, uh, outdoor, under a tent, on a rolled out carpet. But he kept coming faithfully, and he was one of the greatest servants that we had at that church before he moved away. And uh, he continued to be an encouragement in that ministry. But, but he will tell you, I didn't come for the pastor, for the facility, He's, I came because of the word of God. I came because you preach the word of God. And so we find here the assurance of David, his personal walk with the Lord, the proven methods, that which was reliable and time-tested. And then lastly here this morning and quickly as we close, I find here the assistance of God. Oftentimes we call this story David versus Goliath, but in reality it wasn't David versus Goliath, it was God versus Goliath. 
David was just a tool of God. This was not David's battle, nor Israel's battle. This was the Lord's battle. And the Bible teaches us in verse number 47, And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And as we close, I want us to understand this truth, that the victory was secured not at the moment the stone sunk into the forehead of Goliath. The victory was secured not at the moment when David took the sword and cut off the head of Goliath. But the victory was secured when David exercised his faith when he stepped out onto the Valley of Elah. At that moment, the battle was won because faith invoked God into that battle and God never fails. And you see here this morning, God desires to fight for us. Nehemiah understood that truth in Nehemiah 4.20. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. Moses understood this truth, the Lord shall fight for you, and he shall hold your peace. The Israelites should have known because it was written that the priests uh, would, would declare to the army before they went out to battle that it's the Lord that is fighting on their behalf. In Deuteronomy chapter number 20, I won't take the time to read the entire passage, but in verse number four, it says, for the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And you see, that is exactly what God did for David, a young, inexperienced shepherd boy, uh, never had one day of experience as a, as a soldier in the army of Israel, but he had great faith. And when David exercised that faith, God said, I'm pleased with that. And God became part of that battle. And God's the one who fought on behalf of David and on behalf of Israel. We know the end of this story in 1 Samuel 17. It says in verse 48, it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. You see, David and the Israelites experienced a great victory that day, one they will never forget, uh, one that brought great glory to God. But the real victory, once again, didn't begin in the valley. The real victory began in David's heart because faith is the victory. And when we have real faith to step out for our God, then God promises that he will fight for us. And when you launch out by faith to plant a church or to follow God, I want to encourage you here this morning, God fights for you. Right? Your victory in church planning, that, that church that you envision that God will bless and, and use in a mighty way to reach souls and ultimately bring glory and honor to his name, that victory doesn't begin on launch Sunday. It begins right now. It begins today, right here in Bible college, as you exercise faith to trust in the Lord, to take him at his word and to continue following in his will as God leads you within this life concerning that which God would have you to do as you serve him. And 1 John 5, 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
And so I want to encourage you here this morning that God wants to fight for you. Uh, God desires to build that church, and he will. That's his promise. But we have to exercise faith. Uh, We can't be like the Israelites that know about God, but we have to be like David that knows God. And and although you might be thinking, hey, I'm much like David. I don't have experience. I don't have the talent. I, I, I don't know the first thing when it comes to planning a church. I want to encourage you just like David, take that first step into the Valley of Elah. Trust the Lord. Take him at his word. God will guide you. God will strengthen you. God will empower you if you step out by faith. And God will use you to build a great church for his glory and for his honor.